Welcome to Attenuation, a weekly podcast where two friends come together to drink beer, discuss beer styles and trends, and just generally ruminate on the meaning of life, aka beer. If you enjoy your time with us, we invite you to become a weekly listener and subscribe to the podcast. Without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of Attenuation, a beer podcast. My name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friend since 8th grade, Stephen. Hello. How's it going today, Stephen? It is awesome, because we got a a couple of real good beers to drink tonight. Yes, we are excited to drink what we are drinking, and they're both going to be on topic, which is a deep dive into American Sour. A very broad category, we found out. Yeah, that's what we found out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> to catch all a little bit. So before we get into the main topic, of course, we have to do the best part of the podcast, then the part we're the most excited about today, which is drinking beer. Yes. So I'll introduce my beer, give some nose notes, and then I'll pass it over to Steven to do the same before we give our tasting notes. So today, in honor of American Sours, I'm drinking uh, Cool Ship. Resurgent from Allagash Brewing Company. So bringing out the big guns. <laughs> so I love that this is named Cool Ship because I guess that their whole line of these beers they have a number of them because uh, they're referring to the big tank that they spontaneously ferment them in. So I like that that's part of the name. And then it says this this particular blend is a blend of one, two, and three year old spontaneously fermented beers. And you know it's fancy because it has a cork in it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, I'm leaving that sound in for sure. It's <laughs> a good sound. So it's pouring, and there's a very vigorous head on it. And the color is, it's coming a little bit darker in camera here, but it's a light, I would say it's a light straw, and there's a lot of bubbles in it. No lacing. And it smells, ooh, it smells very sour, which excites me. And I smell maybe lemon. It's got that funk, that spontaneous funk. Wet dog, barnhouse, you know. Yeah, just like candied fruit maybe on the nose as well. And yeah, like lemon zest is coming around across really strong. So I'm going to indulge in this while you introduce your beer. I am a little jealous of yours, but uh, I also have a wild ale. Uh, this is from Black Project. Um, they're in Denver, Colorado. Um, I think maybe this is all they do is spontaneous and wild ales. Uh, this one's called Adder. I think you drank one of theirs. Um, I was looking back. At, yeah, it was called Nimrod or something. But um, this one's called Adder, A-D-D-E-R. I think it's a kind of snake. It's a sour ale with pomegranate and mango. So kind of a cool flavor combination. Yeah, that sounds good. And I did have a black house, and I really liked it. So I don't know if I've ever had a beer with pomegranate in it. Yeah, that should be interesting. It's not a flavor I'm like used to picking out. You gotta drink some pomegranate juice. So this is a beautiful golden color. It's very pale. Oh yeah. And just slightly hazy. Carbonation's very effervescent. Just a real small centimeter head that uh, quickly fizzled out. So very similar to you. I'm getting a lot of lemony sort of honey sweetness on the nose just a touch of that barnyard funk but not it's not overwhelming it's very subtle and 
just the slightest hint of mango. It's very subtle on the nose. Okay, I'm diving in. Cheers. Okay, I don't know what I was thinking, but this is not what I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's really complicated. It's like, um, for some reason, I thought it would be a little sweeter, but it's almost like devoid of all sweetness. But it tastes like, in the entrance, it's like white wine, lemon zest, sour cherry, and then it kind of develops into that funky, a little bit of barnyard flavor, and then like green apple, oak, and vanilla in a super long finish, and it's really, really dry and really, really crisp. I don't know if I would drink it again. I, I, I don't think it's bad, but I think it's making me realize I like sours to have a, a little bit of sweetness in them, and this one doesn't have much at all, so. Yeah, I get that. I think that's why I've always kind of not like the Saison style because I think it's that same sort of like very, very dry but sour and it's it's kind of it's a weird taste. Yeah, I need some relief up in here. Yeah. <laughs> and sour and dry. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Well, so it's like a thumbs in the middle or just... it's it's how I feel about classic movies. Okay. I recognize they're good, but I don't particularly care for them. Okay, gotcha. I don't know what direction my thumb has to point to designate that. Our judging uh, scale is too simplified (laughs) (laughs) for for the complexities of your (laughs) my rating system of your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. How's how is your uh, black house? Okay, so mine's fantastic. I think you would like mine better. So very sharp, biting, lactic sourness right up front, just how we like it. It sort of goes into more of a funky sourness, so that barnyard funk. And then the finish is really just like this, a little bit of mango sweetness, but more sort of lemony green apple. And then the pomegranate comes. And the pomegranate finish is awesome. So... I was I mentioned I, I, it's not a flavor I really feel like I pick out a beer very often. So growing up, my grandma who lived just not too far down the street from me, she had a pomegranate tree at her house, and so we were, I mean, when they were in season, like we had pomegranates, as many pomegranates. I mean, she made pomegranate <laughs> jelly, she made all sorts of pomegranate stuff. But really, my favorite thing was just to crack it open and eat the seeds. Nice. And this is like. It's kind of a taking me back here because I don't know. It's been a long time since I've just eaten straight pomegranate. What are those things called? What? You know what they're called? They have a name. The little like pomegranate seed things. Oh, I have no idea. It's eluding me. Dang it. Bad knowledge. But anyway, so it's been a long time since I drank. I, I just ate those straight. But this is the pomegranate finish on this is awesome. The mango, I feel, is lost. I don't, I'm basically getting no mango other than maybe in the sweetness, but the pomegranate finish is fantastic. So I would love that. I actually also love pomegranates. The seeds are called areals? Areals? Areals, yeah. Areals. Areals, I think. Pomegranate areals, yeah. I don't know how you actually pronounce it, but yep, there you go. I've never seen that word before in my life. Yeah. Hmm. That wouldn't have come to me. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it's familiar now that I hear it, but it, it wouldn't have. Yeah. 
Huh, that's cool though. I'm glad they like executed the pomegranate in a way that it resonated with you. Yeah, I like I said, my mango was lost. I don't know. Hmm. The other thing too, which is weird to me, is the color of this. Like, yeah, like where's the pomegranate? <laughs> you would think that would make it like at least a little red. Or a little pink. red, yeah. Yeah. So strange. Interesting to know like how they add the fruit or huh, interesting. Nice. So that's a thumbs up. Yeah. It's sour. It is sour. This is not something you give to your friend that's never had a sour beer, and you're like, oh, just try sour beer. No, this is, you better like sour beer. Gotcha. It I would like that one, then. Biting. Okay, nice. All right, so that was our drinking beer segment, and then we do have beer news. It's actually beer news I'm very jealous of, because Stephen, as he mentioned on the previous podcast, Got to go drink a beer in Anaheim. So he's going to tell us how that was. Yeah. So we did go to Ballast Point on our second day there. In the downtown Disney area, they have a Ballast Point restaurant. Uh, we've been there before. It's pretty fun. I remember them having more sours the last time. But this is the first time I've been there since they were rebought. Um, Constellation kind of tossed them out. <laughs> and... Uh, they were picked up by Kings and Convent um, Brewing from Chicago. So it was. I was interested to see like if they were doing anything interesting. What's really sad about when they got picked up by Constellation is that they threw out a ton of their barrel aged stuff. Like they just scrapped a lot of that, which is really sad. It's a crime against beer. Yeah. So it's good to know that they're doing that again. They're doing a lot of that again. Uh, cool. They they had a couple. Um, their Victor at Sea Imperial Porter, which Jason is a big fan of. Yes. They had a um, whiskey barrel aged version of that. So I tried those side by side, the regular and the whiskey barrel aged version. It was really interesting. The, the, the regular was much more um, sort of milk chocolatey, very nutty, very almost this like macadamia nut chocolate flavor. And then the barrel aged was smoother like it was kind of a smoother mouthfeel like a thicker mouthfeel but it was much darker like a darker like more dark fruit more dark chocolate like a very very long dark chocolate finish surprisingly long compared to the the regular so it was cool to see to do those side by side i love side by side tastings i don't get to do a, a lot of them that was that was a fun one to see those beers side by side. You could be becoming a stout drinker, Stephen. I know, right? <laughs> I'm going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I also tried. We mentioned how much we hated the Sour Wench when yes. it first came out. They had a barrel-aged version, a white wine barrel-aged version of white, um, Sour Wench. Okay. It, it was very good. Yeah. Nice. Just so a they nice, improved it. Yeah. Just a nice white wine grape complexity nice sourness you know it wasn't it didn't blow me away but it was solid it was definitely a beer i would drink again that's fair i think the first time i had it was like the very first time they made it so i'm sure it's evolved it's evolved since then yeah because i remember it came out and i was like this is gonna be awesome ballast points out that's great and it was terrible (laughs) but i remember like when i went to ballast point disney the first time 
they had like a section on their menu that was like experimental beers, you know. So they had they had a fruited Berlin and Weiss. They had um, you know a couple of different like sort of weird experimental things, and that was nowhere to be found other than the few barrel aged stuff things that they had. But hmm. okay, so um, there was no like beers, new beers you didn't recognize or. They had a hazy IPA okay. that uh, my wife drank uh, that I'd never heard of. I can't remember what it's called, but they had a few. They had Sculpin, Habanero Sculpin, and um, uh, Aloha Sculpin. I tried the Aloha Sculpin; it was good. Uh, so yeah, it was. And of course, the food is is pretty awesome. Most brewery food is. Did you look at the menu before you went? Oh yeah, <laughs> and actually, their whole system was you scan the qr code which you know everybody's doing now for the menu yeah you scan the qr code and it was table specific oh so you scan the qr code it takes you to a um website and you order everything and you pay for it like you order everything pay for it on your phone and then they that sends the order to the kitchen and they just bring it to you you think menus are gone forever now i mean i think they should be because that sounds amazing like yeah well, it's so much easier for them to update it. Yes. Right? Like, if it changes, they don't have to reprint menus. Yeah. Why Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. I don't think menus are coming back. There's a few things I'm glad are going away. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you know me, I looked at, uh, looked at it on my phone before I went to the restaurant anyway, so. Right. I'm like, I don't need a menu. I'm good. Yeah, that's I mean, interesting. I know what I want. <laughs> um but yeah but it was kind of cool because you could just you know you could take your time because especially with the beers they had different you know you could order like a little four ounce or eight ounce pour or 16 ounce pour and so i was able to just kind of go and pick which ones i wanted four ounces of and i don't know it was just cool and you know if i wanted more beer i just had to make another order but not that big of a deal yeah i didn't have to like flag anybody down i just made my order when i was ready to order and there it came so like most technology it continues to strip away human interaction yeah it's fantastic (laughs) you're like and i'm all for it this is great (laughs) it's like when i i it's like i can't all i do is drive up orders now at target (laughs) like i know it's bad is it bad i mean i think it is for like human connection oh yeah but i mean it's like I think it's destroying our brains, but and like every time I have to make a phone call, like I dread it. Like I shouldn't have to dread every phone call I make, but I do. <laughs> I I, find I don't so think I used to. to but. I was gonna say when we were at roundtable together, we we're on the phone like constantly. That's what I always tell my wife. Like she has like a little bit of like self or phone hesitancy like where she doesn't really like to talk to people on the phone yeah and I, I just get flashbacks to being like 16 and like showing up for work and they were like you're on phones today which means you answer phones for eight hours and put the orders into the computer and like once you do that you'll never be hesitant about talking on a phone again like yeah yeah that thing is just re-ringing friday night oh man, it would be ringing never off the stop. hook Yep, and you yeah. have to put people on hold, and then, oh, man. Yeah, you would literally just, one person would be on phones usually, and you would just stand by the phones, except for your break, until, you, until like, the rush died. You were just a machine. Man, those were the days. And there was, that was, there was no technology then. <laughs> yeah, it was even worse when I would delivery drive. Yeah. Did you ever delivery drive? You drove a yeah. little bit, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. 
And you had to like find the address on the map. Yeah, we'd like, have to go. What? I don't know if the Kids age demographic of who's listening to this podcast, but we had a massive map <laughs> on the wall, and we had like f- dumb phones. So you would like scout out your route, and then you would get in your car and drive. And I was terrible at directions, so I'd always get lost, anyways. So then you. I mean, to, like, I had the distinct advantage of. I mean, you lived in Dave, but I would live my Dave my whole entire life. Yes. So I had a. I had That's a, true. You grew up in the town. Like, I had a very, very good sense of where I was going. So it was easy for me to be like, oh, that street? Okay, yeah, I got it, and just get there. But Well, so Google Maps in that era was you would get on the radio, because we used radios, like pretty long-distance radios, and you would call back to base and be like, hey, I'm lost. And then they would <laughs> – you'd, <laughs> you'd tell them where you were, and then they would have to walk over – and stare at the giant map, and then like route you in real time. That was your GPS. That was your GPS. Yes. So. Yeah. And then at night too, like trying to find addresses at night. Oh yeah, forget about it. And apartment complexes are non-standardly numbered. So sometimes a one in the beginning is the first floor, and a two in the beginning is the second floor, but not always. <laughs> or you're like, okay, this is building nine, this is building ten, okay, eleven's next, and you're like, it's like nope, 14. where is that? <laughs> <laughs> so tip for oh, delivery drivers. Actually, trouble. now they have GPS, so but tip them anyways. Yeah, I always tip my delivery drivers way too much money. Well, it's it's it kind of like it's annoying now because everything is like on the app, yes. and so you're like you're paying already, and you're like you've already you have to put a tip in before you even like know whether the pizza's going to get to you on time or how the driver's going to be. It's kind of weird. See, that loss of human interaction. I liked when I got to the the door and they had to like, write me a check. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> but they'd write you a check with a nice $5 tip in it. That's mm. true. Yeah. yeah it's true. You'd have to, like, remember when you have to take the <laughs> check and you'd have to, like, look at their ID and you'd have to draw the quadrants and write the things down on the check? Yeah, yeah. Oof. Well, remember the credit card thing where you had to like yes, rub it? you had to imprint the credit card to prove that the card was there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> terrible! <sighs> oh, these are these are we're how we're old are we? Old. We're dating yeah. ourselves. Yeah, Man, that's the that's our we're like we're the elder millennials. That's what we're called. Yes, we are elder millennials. Analog childhood, digital adulthood. Oh yes, very much. And now look, we have a podcast on iTunes. Look at this. <laughs> yeah, see, we're, we're, staying, learned. we're staying young. Yeah, we're staying current. We're like five years too late, but. We're on Facebook. <laughs> no one's on Facebook. <laughs> what? They're all what on Instagram, and then Instagram probably is dying now, too, anyways. Oh, yeah. It's all TikTok now. We should be on TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, we should. Get on that, man. Nah. <laughs> too old. All right, so that's the beer news. That was my trip to the last point. Oh, and the yeah. other great thing was that we went to the Blue Bayou the next day in Disneyland, and they have historically never had alcohol in the Magic Kingdom side of Disneyland, but they do now. They have beer and wine at the Blue Bayou. Really? Okay, nice. Yeah. So I had a, a Carl Strauss Boat Shoes Hazy IPA in Blue Bayou with my Monte Cristo, which is still... The reigning champion, best thing I've ever ate. Oh, really? Do you think that's the best thing you ever ate? Yeah. I will say the Disneyland Monte Cristo is incredible. I can't finish one, though. I always split it with my wife. Oh, I ate the whole thing. 
Are you serious? Oh, easy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so rich. You split it? Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> You've never been able to eat as much as I have, though. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I Whenever we go to like Blaze Pizza, <laughs> you got like half the pizza left, and mine's like demolished. <laughs> It's true. I would take it home the next day for lunch. <laughs> All right. We're getting silly already. So what's the our main topic is American sours. Yeah. And like I said, this is a very broad topic. It's kind of it's almost like saying Belgian sours um, because really it's just sour beers from the region. But it really hasn't like I guess there isn't really a style that has like differentiated itself out right i don't think so and i don't know i don't know if it ever will not unless we invent like a new souring technique yeah so really um so we we talked about uh like lambics and goose um being belgian wild fermented ales where the micro flora mm-hmm. of that area had everything to do with ha- what the beer finished how the beer turned out and so really this is just the american version of that so even if you brew a beer exactly like you would brew a lambic in belgium if you brew it here technically it's an american sour right which is why the category is kind of so broad because really it encompasses any sour brewed in in america without like i mean unless you're trying to really go for like a specific style like goza or berlin or weiss i mean technically those would fall under american sours if you sour them in america but <laughs> those, those that would be more of a like i'm trying to make this specific german style okay yes um, but even in that case you wouldn't necessarily you almost can't call it yeah it's that like whole style ale right yes you would call it <laughs> that style ale because it's like by definition it has to be made in that region to be called that thing which is true of a lot of alcohols wine is like that scotch is like that yeah Uh, champagne right champagne yeah so yeah what we kind of discovered in our research is like if you make if you make a beer that's sour and you make it in america (laughs) it's sour it's an american sour (laughs) there you go that was our deep dive or or sometimes they call it american (laughs) wild ale yeah. And I think like um what's cool is that, you know, mid nineties we've talked about the like sort of hop race, everybody trying to make the hoppiest beers, the hoppiest IPAs. And this was kind of a response to that. You know, there were brewers that were like, No, we wanna like we wanna take it old school. We wanna make these beers that are naturally fermented. Uh they spend lots of time in barrels and develop these complexities and it was just sort of another arm of the craft beer trail the craft beer revolution pathway where again you had and even the same you know you could take russian river for example they were in the hop race too they were making very hoppy beers they also realized that there was a place in american craft beer for sour beers and i'm glad they realized that because seriously Drinking this today, this is why I love beer. Yeah, that is like kind of what got you into it, huh? Yeah. And it was Russian River. Yeah, they're, you know, barrel-aged 
are you wine barrel aged sours. Are you ready for me to tell you the story I found? I am ready for this. Okay, during my research, I so this story is from Canna Magazine, um, so I give credit to them, but I'm going to share it here. This like blew my mind, Stephen. It's going to blow your mind too. I got to get it right because it's a little bit complicated. But essentially, what happened is there is a brewer that worked at New Belgium. Two brewers, Peter Buckart and Laura Limbach, and Buckart had already trained and worked at Belgium's Rodenbach Brewery. So, you know, like... Yeah, very famous. Basically, old magic of sour, (laughs) right? Yeah. So he trained there, so he kind of understood the process. And then he inherited or bought um, some pre-soured barrels to launch Colorado's New Belgium Sours program in 1997. And so one of those barrels... They, like, designate them, right? So they write uh, codes on them. One of them was encoded PH1. And it's known, now it's known as the Relic, the Rare Barrel. But I'll tell you why. So he used this. They used it in New Belgium's Sour Program. And this gave birth to beers like La Folie, which is, like, one of my favorite beers of all time. One of the best beers I've ever yes. had. So get this, though. So apparently, Bokart knew Vinny from Russian River, and he gifted the barrel PH1, also known as the rare barrel, to Vinny. And I don't, it doesn't say the year. And then they, Vinny used that to launch his own sour project, which ultimately would be the beer you drank when you hung out with me that got you making this podcast. So it influenced your life as well. And he used that to kick off his sour program. And then it got gifted again to Jay Goodwin, who named his brewery the Rare Barrel, which we drank at the um, Great American Brew Festival. And I was like obsessed with. And we we still never have, made it we there. Still I don't know the, how we didn't make it there. Yeah, and now you live far away, so it's going to be much more tricky. The next time you come, we're going to Rare Barrel. And so he uses that same barrel to make rare barrel. And then Goodwin learns that Bokart is going to start a new sour project. So he returned PH1 to New Belgium. <laughs> I just want to like lick the inside of that barrel. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That barrel is like <laughs> sacred at this point. Oh, my gosh. It is cool how long their 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 life their uh, the life of like a barrel is. Um, I guess I had not thought about it that specifically until I read this story. But wow, what a crazy story! So I'm hoping that's like accurate. I'm assuming it is in a magazine. But wow, that's so cool. That's really awesome. And like it just sort of shows you that they didn't need to inoculate their beers with anything. Like as soon as you put them into those barrels that they were reusing over and over and over again. They had those mixed cultures that were just going to do the magic for you. Yes. And remember when we went to, um, in Russian River, in their soured side, they have a room that's all, they built where they have their cool cool ship, I guess you would call it. I don't oh, know. yeah. Mm-hmm. But all the wood there was like untreated. It was like bare wood because they just wanted to get inoculated with yeast like over and over and over again and become like muskier and living and funky and alive. 
so we were there like when it first opened and it was still just basically bare wood but i want to go back in like 20 years and go in that room and it's just like a dank yeah the smell is gonna be yes. incredible so it has a, I mean, American Sour has an amazing tradition in the U.S., but it's funny because, like, it all ties back. And, of course, I guess it would be impossible for it not to tie back to Bel- to Belgium and, like, you know, those traditional methods, so. Yeah, it was essentially American brewers trying to brew just like the Belgians, so. Some of the things I was reading in terms of how these beers tend to turn out, it was kind of funny because if you look at, like, craftbeer.com profile of a american sour <laughs> everything it lists like attenuation carbonation hops they use malt they use it all just says varies <laughs> because really you can take you can take a darker beer and sour it you know wild ferment it or use your house mixed culture of yeast and and bacteria you can use bretonomyces yeast that um you know, a wild yeast that you somewhat control and inoculate your beers with. So you you can really start with any beer and then just, you know, put it in barrels, oak age it for six months. You can blend multiple agings. Um, so there's, like we said, there's so much you can really do and still consider an American sour. So it's such a wide category. But what they tend to be is for sure tart. They're going to have some sort of sourness. And even kettle sours can fall under the American sour. Mm. You know, it doesn't matter how you sour it technically. Um, But so, uh, you know, some sort of bacteria, wild yeast, and then aged in barrels, especially like if you use these, you're reusing these barrels all the time, you're going to get some sort of mixed culture from the barrel. So that's all going to impart some sort of sourness funkiness that barnyard bite a lot of these american sours one of the sort of main characteristics is a lot of them are fruited Hmm. fruit and spice additions are very 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 common so you know we we mentioned rare barrel brewery they basically have one or two base beers and then they just play with them age them differently ferment them on different combinations of fruits and the possibilities are endless essentially all based on a they use a golden sour ale or blonde ale base uh, which is really just a a very you know light malts very lightly hopped they can't you can use either ale or lager yeast to create a blonde ale it's just a very crisp clean uh think Firestone 805, if you ever had that, sort of just mm-hmm. a slight honey sweetness to it, very like sort of bready, biscuity, and um, and then they just take that golden sour or that golden base, that golden ale base, and then sour it and ferment it, age it, blend it. And the beers turned out amazing. <laughs> yeah, I I I like I like everything I've had from them except one beer. Oh, really? Yes. I got really excited. I'll have to look it up. I don't remember what it was. Uh, but I, I found a rare barrel. It came in a can. Oh, uh, interesting. It, it was based on, like, uh, Sangria, I think. It was undrinkable. 
I'll figure out what it is. Give me a second. Okay. Um, I had one that was brewed with peach and oolong tea. It was fantastic. Like, okay, that sounds really yeah, good, just actually. A little bit sour, you get that nice tea flavor. It was just like a peach tea. Oh, it was so good. Um, yeah, Sangria Noir. Oh, okay. Do not waste Don't your time. That one. Okay. <laughs> that was from Rare Barrel? And I love Rare Barrel. The spear is horrific. Okay. Well, yes. you know. Well, that kind of leads me into another thing about these beers. So one of the problems with these beers is that they're very, very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Especially these wild yeast. They can be very hard to control and unpredictable in how they sour the beer, how the beer evolves over time. You know, you could you could age a beer for a year, two years open the cast drink and it could be just absolutely horrible. You've literally wasted two years on this beer that you can't use. So they do tend to be expensive because of that. So you will see higher prices on these beers because breweries are taking a risk every time they brew a beer. And especially with they're aging it for any extended amount of time, they take a risk, not only time risk, but, just money risk and the risk of just having a beer that doesn't they can't even use and the other problem too is that you have to control those if you're going to use wild yeast it can completely ruin your brewery the rest of your brew if you're trying to brew other styles so you'll see um you know we've mentioned almanac before they were an all-sour beer company they've evolved to to do other stuff but um rare barrel only sticks with sours well, and Russian River has like two separate facilities. Yeah, like they've connected. completely, exactly. They've yeah, they've completely separated their two sides because that risk is high. So yeah, uh, yeah. So no, I mean that's fair. I shouldn't be so hard on them. I mean it is a super complex process, and especially if you're putting that much yeah. age in, time in. Um, but they they did try it and think. Hey. <laughs> they were like, yeah, people will buy this. We're, we yeah. have a good reputation. <laughs> Because I'll still, yeah. I still like them, right? So yeah, they can, you can probably burn. Some algorithm can tell you how many times you can burn your customer before they, uh, you dissuade before them. They're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I love that story of the barrel going from brewery to brewery. This is amazing. Just the names that you dropped on those breweries is just incredible. Like it's, three of the greatest breweries in the United States were started with this barrel. It's such a cool story. If we get independently wealthy, when we start our brewery, we'll try to get that barrels too. (laughs) Okay. Well, it's also like it's being part of like the elite brotherhood or sisterhood or I guess uh, brewerhood. This is kind of cool. Like like in any, especially like in niche hobbies, which I guess craft beer is pretty niche hobby. I think it's pretty big now, but yeah, it's kind of cool how like the players all know each other and stuff like that. And well, and I assume when this this barrel was being traded around there weren't a lot of no not at that time um, if you were a head brewer of a brewery you probably did know Vinny, right they yeah. all they all knew each other yeah it's pretty cool um, it's been really fun watching um 
I follow all these breweries on Instagram, of course, and it's been really fun to watch the it's hop harvest season right now. Mm. So a lot of breweries are brewing their fresh hop beers, their wet hop <sighs> beers. I want to try them. Yeah, but it's just really cool because, you know, Vinny is in the Pacific Northwest and there's just so many pictures of them with like their hands in the hops and their hand, their face in their you know their noses into the hops and it's so cool um it's a huge migration of head brewers that that head up there um to find the hops for their next beers so it's pretty cool i'm sure it's really fun for them because they get to see people they don't always get to see and and of course smell all these freshly harvested hops which i'm sure is fantastic so i do want to i would love to get up there during hop harvest season I know I'm so sad when we went to Bale Breaker that the hops weren't grown. Yeah. And what's crazy is that we, I mean, a matter of like weeks after we were there, I saw pictures and like the hops were way higher than they were. Like they were basically nubs when we were there and then they had, they grow very fast. So we got to go back. I want to eat at that weird dive restaurant we ate at. Yeah. Do you, do you remember I got that French dip? Yeah. It was like twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a great restaurant. That burger was fantastic. I forgot what it was called. It was such like a tour- yeah, it was it was like simultaneously an amazing local dive, but then also like a tourist trap because it was yeah, like a build- Well the building was weird too. Yeah. Like it looked like an old house almost. Where like you moved to one side and then you were like, oh, I'm going into the living room now. Like yes. what used to be the living room and like some kind of look like what my grandma's house used to look like. <laughs> and they also had like a mini museum where they had those like they had all these like Native American artifacts oh, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. All place was so weird. Yeah. Yeah. But good burger. Good French dip. Really good French dip. <laughs> So we're going back. Uh, yeah, I would love to go up. Um, so usually I think it's in October. They do okay. because hop harvest is like through September. And then usually October is when they do a couple festivals. They do wet hop festivals. Nice. So those would be pretty fun. Yeah, I, I would love. I still don't think I've had like a wet hop beer, especially not one like at a brewery, like fresh. But I, I, I got to imagine that's a pretty cool experience. Because you can really only drink them like a very, very short window. Yeah. So they have uh, Citrus Liquor, I think is there, is Bale Breakers. That's the one I want to try. Wet Hop Ale. Uh, Fremont, of course, brewed one. And the other cool thing, too, is the next time we go is that um, uh, Bale Breaker has a tap room now in, uh, in, Sa- in Seattle, in downtown Seattle. Oh, that'd be much more convenient. Yeah. So. Hmm, very cool. So do we want to mention some of the breweries that, you know, kind of are making American sours today? Yeah. So, of course, Russian River Sour Program is amazing. They have beatification, consecration, the whole shun, you know. What was the the one we had? Uh, Intinction. Intinction, yeah. Yeah. We had had like a seven-year-old beatification that was just... uh, Still one of like... That's a core memory for me. That's one of the best beers I've ever had. It was so good. <laughs> a core memory. <laughs> That's amazing. Do you see? That's did you watch Disney, your Disney inside, reference? Is it Inside Out? Yeah, yeah. 
You're Sorry, like, I was just at Disneyland, so. That's such a good, that's such a good, like, a core memory. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I agree, dude. That was the most sour thing I think I've ever tasted in my entire life. So good. And we split, it was like a one little bottle, and I think we split it, like, four ways, and it was still, like, almost too much. Yeah. It was so sour. <laughs> so good, though. So that good. really good. So I'm very lucky I have Jester King here in Austin. I know I want to go. We're going to uh, Jester King when I visit you. Very prolific sour beer producers. Uh, they have their whole wild ale house culture program going on there. Uh, and they do all sorts of funky stuff. Yeah. All sorts of funky stuff. Sometimes it gets too funky for me. <laughs> I'm sure it's but. too funky for me, too. <laughs> Course Rare Barrel, Almanac, New Belgium. Uh, yep, Allagash, Crooked Stave is a, a huge one, Black Project, Wicked Weed in North Carolina is a very big wild ale program. Okay. Um, uh, Jolly Pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. And where are they, Michigan? They're in Michigan, yeah. And then Lost Abbey, of course. Yep. Actually, I want to look this up. I think I've, I'm pretty sure I've had a few Jolly Pumpkin beers. Okay. Uh, New Galaris, I think, has a few, right? I love New Galaris, but <laughs> they, they do don't that. sell their, their bel- beer their outside Belgium. of Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I had a, I had a coworker I was talking about that with, and uh, one of our other coworkers. Like, he's from Wisconsin or has a family up in Wisconsin, so he goes up there sometimes, and he has brought back this other coworker some beers, some, that, the Belgian red, the cherry. I was like, dude, he needs to hook me up. So, I'm going to try and get a, try and use my Wisconsin hookup. Yes, please do, and then send it to me. Okay, yes, Jolly Pumpkin (laughs) makes a beer. Okay, I bought this beer, remember last week we talked about marketing? Yeah. We'll have to put a picture of this beer bottle up. But I bought this beer specifically because of how cool... Well, it was a sour, but specifically how cool the bottle is. It's called La Roja. It's um, a sour amber ale, and it's like this cat, and the cat is wearing like a suit. Oh, yeah. That was like, the one you look, like. <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm like, dude, this is the this sophisticated cat that's wearing a suit and drinking beer out of a snifter. Like, how can I not buy this? I wanted to keep it, but I didn't. Yeah, their bottle art is pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. Jester King's is very cool, too. We have one that's pretty new near us called Hedgehog Brewing. I really need to check out, but they're all, um, I think everything they do is wild fermented. Uh, so I I want to check it out, maybe like do a tour or something, see see what their brew process is because they're they're still small, but yeah, I want to check them out. Those are the big ones for sure. I'm sure we're missing some, but oh yeah, we're missing tons. But... Oh, Plan B hmm. in uh, New York. Okay, that's another good one. Their beers are very like beatification ish, like really good, like lemony tartness. Very much, they're very much into like the terroir of yeah of upstate New York where they are. Very good beers, very expensive, like twenty five dollars for a twelve ounce bottle. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess once you introduce, they're like long, long or long fermented or long barrel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You start to introduce time, things get expensive. Yeah. Everything's aged, blended. You know. Yeah. It's a lot of time and effort. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy how long things can age, and this isn't even like the beer universe is like tame compared to like wine and scotch. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. That's the American sour. Cool. American sours. Yeah, kind of a strange, uh, strange deep dive in that like it's hard to nail it down into one single style because it's just you can't. But but it's, it's very fun. <laughs> it is very fun. Yeah, I think and it's very sour. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and sometimes sweet and sometimes very dry. Sometimes very dry, as like I should have known, but like I don't know why I did <laughs> I didn't anticipate. All right, really cool. Well, if you want to get a hold of us, we do have an Instagram. That is attenuation.podcast, where we have over 40 followers. And if you want to, <laughs> why do you say that? Why do you make that face? No, no. They, we agree. I know, I know, I know we decided we're just going to stick with over, over 40. Yeah. yeah. And then when we have like a thousand. Maybe okay, maybe. when we get to a thousand in 2025, we'll say over a thousand. Okay. But until then, we'll say over 40, and that's the running joke. Every time you say 2025, I think you're going to say 20 to 25 years. <laughs> no, this 2025. Just okay, gotcha. <laughs> okay, and then um, we also have an email. It's contact.attenuation at gmail.com. So if we missed any sour breweries and you want to correct us, let us know. Shout them out. Shout them out. We're not afraid to know that we missed something. We'll add them. Yeah, we'll call you out. No, we don't add them if it's an email, Stephen. Oh, okay. We well, just... we'll add them on Instagram. <laughs> Is that good? I don't know. <laughs> I'm old, remember? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I guess that that's a wrap on episode 29. So my name is Jason, and I'm joined by my best friends since eighth grade. That's Stephen. That's me. (laughs) And we are saying cheers and adieu until next week. It'll be episode 30. It's like all sorts of milestones we're hitting. Yeah. Okay, we got to think of a good topic. Okay. All right, sir. I'll see you next week. All right. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Attenuation, a beer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Instagram or Facebook for more fun content. Catch you next week. Cheers.